Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and the co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Imagine not having a homeowner's insurance policy when you live in Tornado Alley. This is the analogy my guest today makes to a manufacturer without a strategic inventory plan. In what he calls today's disruption economy, Supply chain management and specifically inventory optimization are more important than ever before. But I'll leave it to our guest to explain. Let me introduce him. Harrison Wells is the Vice President of Professional Services at Lean DNA, a leading supply chain technology platform on the mission to solve the execution gap that's impacting the discrete manufacturing industry by empowering teams with supply chain agility. Harrison brings over 20 years of experience managing complex builds for manufacturers in the aerospace, automotive, and commercial vehicle industries. This includes stints with Triumph Group, Lockheed Martin Aeronautics, Bendix Commercial Vehicle Systems, and Ford Motor Company. Harrison, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. Harrison, I know you've got a really extensive background in engineering and manufacturing, How has that experience shaped your perspective on supply chain management today? Supply chain is an interesting position. Having worked in engineering and supply chain, I really understand both the upstream and downstream challenges. In some companies, supply chain takes on kind of a a victim strategy where they they are influenced by having imperfect customers, both upstream and downstream. So when engineering or the customers have a design change, this is hits their MRP system and just triggers a a whole bunch of exception messages to where they're trying to recover and get back to schedule. Similarly, once they finally get all the parts in-house, they issue them out in a kit, it gets out on the manufacturing floor, and then reality strikes. Somebody scraps a part, a part gets lost. So there's really a lot of uh, challenges for them to balance those, those needs of upstream and downstream customers. That said, too many customers and companies uh, just continue to they see this day after day and yet they continue to plan for perfection and they're in a constant state of correction so it's really the need for a robust supply chain that can you know recognize and respond to these minor disruptions seamlessly is really uh, imperative and something that something i i learned by being uh, seeing it from both sides i've heard you talk about how manufacturers have to have what you call a plan for every part can you tell us exactly what that means Yeah, a plan for every part basically involves analyzing the anticipated demand for a part and developing a strategy to ensure that manufacturing can support that demand. It's fairly straightforward. The real question, though, is really how many parts do I need? What's the right level to support production? One, you know, a very common way is looking at economic order quantities. And when you're looking at an economic order quantity type model, you're looking at your supply chain team and you're saying, what does it take to what is the cost to procure a part versus what is the cost the inventory carrying cost and you try to balance those two out to where you're not ordering too much which is great i mean 
you limit the number of purchase orders, but you're also sitting on a lot of inventory or vice versa, where you know you issue a whole bunch of purchase orders, but then your transaction costs get so high, even though you have low inventory. So balancing those two factors is an important one. The next area, though, is that supply chain. You also have your downstream customer in manufacturing. They're looking you know, much more at economic production quantities. So they're looking at what does it take to balance my setup cost versus my inventory carrying cost. So trying to kind of balance those two is really the goal of a plan for every part. You're trying to find out what are these appropriate balances. Once you kind of come up to them, you understand what your target is. Then you have to ask yourself, how closely do I, can I afford or how closely do I want to adhere to that uh, target? And this is where you get into part categorization and ABC and XYZ. For A parts are traditionally the parts that are the most expensive and drive about 80% of your throughput cost. So you, you clearly want to manage these tightly and hold them very close to that target. As where a C part, which is tends to be very inexpensive and has uh, you know, so your lower 5% of your total throughput cost, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to adhere to that target as closely. Um, in a perfect world, you'd have them all balanced, but you know, very few supply chain teams have all the buyers they need in place to cover all that. So that's the, the third thing is you're balancing people and resources. And so now you're trying to say, great, I understand what the economic order quantity is, what the economic production quantity is. But once I know what that target value is, how closely should I, how closely can I adhere to that target? Once you've established your targets, the daily cycle stock strategy is really governed by the order policy and the order policy parameters. So this is when you decide if you're going to be using a lot for a lot, an order interval, a min-max, or any other pull or push type strategy. The safety stock strategy is really what then governs the variability and, and helps manage your risk. So, so you have both a cycle stock and a safety stock strategy that combine to create your, your complete plan for every part. When you start running a really lean uh, cycle stock strategy, you really need to protect yourself with safety stock as where there's some more conserv- some more liberal pool-based cycle stock strategies that basically inherently have safety stock built in, and you don't have to worry about that. So I guess some things you need to w- think about moving forward. Also, you know, just bringing up the term safety stock, it really is uh, a misnomer and it really has a a negative connotation that infers your kind of guessing or the idea is like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, so I need safety stock. That's really not the the case in most instances. In most instances, you have some historical data and, and you're really looking at variability and you have some known unknowns, if you will. When, when that's a situation, you're not really looking at safety stock. You're making an investment in strategic inventory. This is like buying an insurance policy when you know you live in Tornado Alley. It's something you know it's going to come. You don't know how frequently, but it makes sense to make the investment in a storm shelter. So, you know, in those instances, you really should be using the term strategic inventory. Safety stock should be really relegated to new product introduction. When, when you're truly launching a new product, you don't know what the demand's going to be like. You don't know what the manufacturing process is going to be like. And in that instance, you are to some degree just estimating. And I would call that safety stock. So Harrison, you know, thanks for giving us some context there about what it really means to have a plan for every part. Are there tangible steps that a manufacturing organization could put in place to make sure that that actually comes to fruition? The analysis for a plan for every part is actually well-documented and fairly straightforward. First, you you kind of look at your, your ABC analysis that I alluded to earlier. 
your ABC analysis is looking at your daily throughput costs. So you're looking at uh, parts, both their unit price and how frequently you're using them per day. Then by adding those up from highest to lowest, you start getting a cumulative total of your total throughput cost of a site that you can apply percentages to. The top 80% of that spend is typically following the 80-20 rule. So the top 20% of your parts are driving 80% of your total throughput cost. Those are uh, historically categorized as A parts. The next 15% taking you from the 80% of your total spend to 95% of your spend, that 15% of parts historically are labeled as B parts. And then the, the final and largest group of parts is that that last section of C parts, which re represent your, your bottom 5% of your uh, total cost. And this often gets into fasteners and, and, and other low-cost items. So once you get done with the ABC analysis, the next part is to look at what is your demand variability. Most people will use a coefficient of variation, which is just a, a basically a standard deviation of a part. They... An A part would have you know low variability, so this would be considered a runner, something that you know you have consistent uh, weekly, monthly, daily demand on. Next category of part would be a Y part. Y parts are more seasonal, so these have a, a repeating cycle to them. And you might think of lawnmowers and snowblowers or something like that, where you're going to have definitely some uh, distinct seasonality. The final category and hardest to manage are Z parts. These are the cats and dogs. These are the spares, the, the one-offs, the build-to-order customization type areas. The thresholds get to be uh, difficult between, so if you think about a, a three by three matrix, an ABC on one axis and XYZ on the other, this three by three matrix basically creates nine, nine boxes. And if by running the analysis, you can put all your parts into those boxes. And that's kind of the, the first step that you'd follow in doing a PFEP. Next, you once you have them kind of into those boxes, you need to ask yourself, what are you trying to achieve? What is your goal? Are you trying to, what's the situation at, at the moment that you're trying to resolve? If you're in a shortage situation, you're trying to recover schedule, um, parts that are high usage, you want to make sure that you have a ready uh, available demand of those. So AX, um, AY, BX parts, um, things in, in that quadrant, you probably want to make sure you have those on hand and available. So people might employ a, either a liberal pull policy to, to where you have a, a min-max or reorder point to where you're not going to run out depending on how the schedule varies, as where other parts with uh, that are less uh, demanding and are, are less consistent, you, know, you might uh, go ahead and order those. So you kind of be thinking build to stock type of mindset versus a, a build to order. That's typically a short-term strategy. Most people can't operate in that mode long. It's, it's, it ends up being operations likes it because there's a lot of material. Unfortunately, your financial controller is not going to be happy because you're going to have a lot of inventory. Most people ultimately end up driving into a longer-term model, which is uh, inventory optimization. And in this model, you're really thinking for inexpensive parts with low demand variability. So start thinking of a CX part. This would be, let's say, a box of fasteners. Don't spend a lot of time managing boxes of fasteners. Kind of set it and forget it. Go out and buy a box of a thousand. When you, when you get down to a certain level, maybe replenish it. Focus your attention on expensive parts, A parts and B parts that have high variability. So you start thinking A Z, B Z parts in that upper right and in, in a 
and in those categories, it ended up being uh, much more important to have tighter financial control on. So on these, you would use an MRP and you'd schedule and have discrete purchase orders and, and driving in that stock. Once you've kind of developed this, what should be a pull-based versus a, a push-based, you know, so a pull would be more your, your consumption-based, and then a push system would be more your schedule-based where you're taking your schedule and forecasting it out. Once you've kind of decided what model you want to employ, the, the next step is to say, okay, what specific uh, order policy do I, want to, do I want to select? And that can depend on, on a lot of things. Of, you know, what can your MRP support? What is your team familiar with working with? What will your uh, supplier support, you know, it'd be great to say, well, I want to use vendor managed min max inventory. But if your suppliers are unwilling to support that, it's a great strategy, but it's hard to implement. So once you've def- defined your strategy, it's, 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 it's a little bit more difficult to, to work it down to the specific order policies. But once you've defined the order policies, you from there, you have one more knob, I'd say to turn and that's the order policy parameters. And that's so if you're looking at order interval, it'd be what it would be an interval be, do I want to order these in weekly, monthly, quarterly buckets or daily buckets? If it's a min-max, how many days of inventory do I want on hand? What would be my minimum stocking value? And then when I do uh, order more, what would be my, my maximum stocking value or similar for, for reorder points? So those are you know areas that uh, you'd, you'd want to address with your order policies. After you get done with those, the next thing is really just... Uh, get that all implemented and, and, and reflected in your ERP system. That be, can become a challenge. I mean, when you look at a lot of sites, you can have thousands of parts. And how do you kind of eat this elephant? So you've you've categorized them, you've come up with your strategy. How do you actually go through and, and you know, touching thousands of parts in your ERP system and amending order policies can be daunting. So a lot of different methodologies people will use. It's very enticing to think, hey, I'm going to go and attack the A parts. This is my 80% of my throughput cost. They're big items. The problem there is that they, um, even though they're, they're large, they all tend to be more complex and often harder. You often will have only one source of supply, and they become more difficult often to manage as far as changing order policies. So what I will encourage a lot of our customers is to take a look at the low-hanging fruit, take a look at the C parts. Uh, C parts are often things that are, you know, either they're not complex or there can be multiple sources of supply. You know, these could be commercial off-the-shelf items, uh, you know, fasteners, nuts and bolts, uh, pumpable sealer, you know, things along this line that, that you can find multiple places. It's often easier to uh, address those initially, uh, attack the C parts, and then if you do need to make a change, let's say to B parts, you can establish a, a buffer stock. You can purchase additional ma- material to give you time to make the change in your order policy. So if you need to change from one order policy to the next, you very likely are going to need to have an overlap planned and protect yourself while you're implementing the, the new strategy. So by attacking the smaller, less expensive parts, if you do have to make any sort of buffers, put buffers in place, it's going to cost you less at the C part. And then you can work your way up from a C part to a B part and then up to the A parts. So that's, that's one way of uh, going about and change, making the changes. The other one is to look at uh, you know, what is going to be the financial impact of making those changes. Uh, what is the, you know, by which order policy changes are going to drive the largest reduction in inventory? 
And you could obviously prioritize those and work your way down the list that way as well. The final one is the understanding that if you're going to have to be reaching out to a supplier and uh, potentially amending contracts, that that's a, a, a very obvious way to prioritize them. You can look at your suppliers with the largest spend and the biggest number of opportunities and sit down with them and say, okay, let's work with your family of parts and address it kind of supplier by supplier. Harrison, what are some of the challenges you see manufacturers facing when it comes to implementing a plan for every part? One of the primary challenges that teams have come up with when trying to implement a plan for every part is the uh, investment required in strategic inventory. Given the environment where everyone's very focused on on working capital and holding on to money, it's it's very difficult to go forward and say, hey, we need to make investments in a strategic inventory that's going to be trapped in the system for the foreseeable future. It uh, often comes under a lot of scrutiny, so it requires um, a really good data to really back up your your claims. One is is just that, having your historical data showing what has happened in the past and, and why the investments are required. The second is to kind of demonstrate how your current investment is is either underperforming, show these were shortages that could have been prevented, these were the impact to lost sales and, and delays and penalties and things along that line, or over time to recover schedule, expedited freight, all these um, hidden costs that are in place when you uh, incur a shortage. So having those tangible results of not having strategic inventory readily available is very important. The next thing is to be able to demonstrate the items that have strategic inventory. So if we had put strategic inventory in place, these would be the number of days of shortage that would have been prevented. And from there, you can justify you know, the need for for the investment. The final one is really they're going to want to understand that uh, there's a level of oversight. I think historically, safety stocks been kind of just put in place ad hoc. So, you know, there, there could be an underperforming supplier, and uh, safety stock will be will be put in place to pr- protect that. Even though it could be years later, either the performance issue has changed or the supplier has even changed, you'll find that safety stock has has been sitting around there. You know, this lack of oversight is definitely one of the other reasons why safety stock is frowned upon. Once it's put in place, who's monitoring it? So that's where you need to make sure you have a, a process in place to basically be monitoring the effectivity of your uh, investment. So what is your return on investment? How many days of shortage were prevented per dollar invested? Do you need to monitor this routinely. If you have an investment in a part that is no longer suffering uh, demand variability or or supply or delivery problems, you need to reallocate that and and identify parts that have been causing you problems and and basically having this evidence that you're actively monitoring and and managing the investment that the site's making is, is critical. Harrison, I'm having a lot of conversations these days on this show one way or another about artificial intelligence, machine learning. I'm curious what role these things are starting to play in supply chain management and inventory optimization and how Lean DNA is making use of AI technology in this capacity. Almost all the functions of the supply chain team can be automated. They're, almost all of them are based on rules of simple supply and demand. So you know these, uh, from your order policies to your plan for every part, they're all based on a set of rules that, that an AI can definitely support. The first step is to obviously come up with a plan, as we mentioned, you know, get your plan for every part, understand what your order policies are and what order policy parameters do you want to apply. From there, you 
tune them. Once they're tuned and you start to trust them, the next part is how do I implement these changes from my model? And that comes into write back. So once you have your plan and you've identified an opportunity, writing that back into your ERP system can get to be a little scary. Initially, most people want a buyer involved. They want to say, we've identified an opportunity, a change. Would you like to approve it? Yes or no. The nice thing about machine learning is it can start looking at those uh, opportunities that are identified and fed to the buyer and start monitoring how is the buyer reacting based on it could be that there's certain suppliers, certain types, certain type of action messages and or other opportunities that get approved almost 100% of the time by consistently you know, following and, and monitoring how buyers react to these messages, we can start to set up rules and propose the, even the rules now to the buyer saying, we've identified 10 or 20 opportunities in this category. You've declined all of them. Should we no longer you know, identify these and present them to you? That would be one strategy. The other one would be, we've noticed that we've identified and fed all these opportunities to you and you're accepting them. Would you like to turn that into an automated function? So basically, as we look how the uh, how the buyer is interacting with Lean DNA and, and, and our suggestions and action messages, we can then start creating higher level heuristics and feed those heuristics to the buyer and saying, should we do this all the time? Um, from there, you get to even higher level rules to where, yes, approve it all the time with certain other exceptions unless so approve all delay messages unless it's coming from a foreign supplier where I might not be able to uh, cancel those orders as quickly as, as I would like. So, you know, by adding additional levels to that, we start creating a true model that, that represents the total decision tree that's working in the buyer's mind. From there, all we really need to feed to the buyer are the exceptions, saying these are exceptions to the rule that you flagged. The, the nice part about this is it's going to allow buyers to go from being able to manage hundreds or thousands of parts to thousands or ten thousands of parts. If they've already set up their rules and, and we've been monitoring their behavior, all they need to do is say, in this situation, it's a judgment call. It does need to be brought to my attention and I need to assess this. So that's the vision and the long, long-term goal of Lean DNA is to not only have be able to offer opportunities to then to learn how the buyers react to those opportunities if they're going to take them the majority of the time offer them the ability to just write that back directly and if they're not going to write it back and or they're going to ignore them to make sure that we no longer feed them fake opportunities or, or things that they're, they're going to decline constantly so we're constantly getting smarter and they're able to manage more and more spend and be much more effective with their time Harrison, I read an article you wrote recently on the Lean DNA website about why manufacturers need to look very closely at what's happening with the current UAW strike. Like, What warning signals does this strike send during what you refer to as the new disruption economy? I think everyone needs to realize that you know disruption is kind of the new normal. And it really comes down to how quickly you can respond to these changes. It's really going to make or break your company and make you really did allow you to differentiate yourself from your competition. You know, obviously having historical data to, to protect yourself, as we mentioned earlier, you know, using your plan for every part, understanding that there have been historical disruptions and, and being prepared for that is key. A great example of that is look look at how well Toyota did initially during the COVID 
inspired uh, semiconductor crisis. They had learned their lessons. They had made a huge investment in semiconductors based on prior disruptions. And based on that, they were able to continue production well beyond most other manufacturers. They were able to gain market share and you know, improve their customer satisfaction. So definitely a, a, you know, a great lesson learned there. The other issue with, you know, thinking about disruption is it's it's very easy to, to overcorrect. So people will go from another one, the semiconductor situation occurred. People have gone from not having enough to placing, you know, just overplacing orders. They, you know, were in a panic mode. They, they didn't have a plan for every part. So they, they responded by overcorrecting, just, you know, frantically placing orders for, for everything they could get their hands on, trying to get their, their name in the order book and a place in line. Now, they're based on a whole bunch of material coming in, a lot of it obsolete, a lot of it's going to have to be scrapped. So when you don't have a plan for every part, that's what happens. You find yourself in a reactionary mode, trying to recover, and these uh, huge investments and efforts you're putting in are often for naught. They don't show up in time, and you end up uh, taking it from your dock to the dumpster, which is everyone's uh, worst-case scenario. So you need tools and, and, and experience. So you, you need to be monitoring you know, historical trends. That all, the, all these events are great learning curves to help establish some benchmarks and, and exceptions to, to know what, what can happen. But you need the tools and a process in place to deploy these strategies very quickly. When you have a matter of days to cancel orders, it, it's, it's very important that you have a way to cascade this information across your enterprise so that buyers understand what what they can do today and what should they do today to uh, address the immediate uh, risk that, that uh, came from the disruption. Well, Harrison, really good conversation today. Can you tell our audience where they can learn more about Lean DNA and what you guys are doing? Sure. www.leandna.com. We have a, a great website. They'll take you through several examples about the tool and, and, and even a, a video to give you an overview of how it works. Perfect. Well, Harrison, thanks for doing this today. Thank you. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com slash learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.